baseball, the arc of the barrel doesn't change a whole lot. It's pretty consistent because, again, the ball is coming in a downhill plane. Whereas in our game, the arc changes all the time. Being able to max out at a high number is, yes, good, but we've got to be able to find that range consistently, which means we've got to be able to time. Because if we can time, we can hit. If we can't time, we can't hit. Being able to obviously hit the ball harder and hit it farther and all those things, but the ability to make the decision later, the ability to take a pitch that you may have swung at if you were shifty and pushy, is going to put you over the course of a season in a much and much better leverage count. Fellas, fellas, fellas. Welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we're here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We'd like to welcome back our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again. We'd also like to welcome our first-time listeners, the rookies. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. This podcast is brought to you by our partners over at Rapsodo, Measure to Master. Rapsodo brings powerful insights into every pitch. They help players and coaches improve their performance through real data. On this episode, we sit down with Carlton Salters, assistant softball coach at the University of Texas at San Antonio. Pull up a seat, grab your notepad. Here's Coach Salters. Welcome back to the Farm System. We're here with Carlton Salters, assistant coach at the University of Texas at San Antonio. Coach, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to sit down and chat with us here at the Farm System. Oh, appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, Carlton, a big reason I wanted to have you on is when it comes to hitting coaches, especially in the softball world, uh, you're definitely one of the top names that hops in my mind. Um, You and I are constantly talking all the time about hitting and bouncing ideas off each other. And um, I think I'm bouncing more ideas off you than you are off me. You know, you're the, you're the seasoned vet here. So uh, (laughs) I wanted to grab you on and uh, pick your brain a little bit and open your mind up for the listeners. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. And as we get the show started here, coach, can you take our listeners through your journey to get to this point in your coaching career? Uh, So I played, um, I played football and baseball at university of Arkansas. Played about seven years of pro ball off and on, working at a facility um, at my hometown in Tallahassee, and started uh, dating someone who was the equipment manager at Florida State. And so I was hanging around the softball team and, you know, kind of doing lessons and didn't know if I really wanted to go back and play again or whatnot. And they had a, a volunteer spot open up. This was in 2015, I believe. And the person that was going to do it ended up not deciding not to do it about a month before the season started. So uh, they asked me because I was there and I said, sure. Cause I, again, I wasn't sure that I wanted to play again. So I did it for a year and, you know, I kind of liked it. I was like, this is interesting. So I did it the second year and, and finally thought that, okay, I think I want to try and do this. So I started applying around for jobs and uh, this was my last 
application was to UTSA, talked with my head coach, Michelle Cheatham, ended up being a fit, and now I'm here. That's awesome. You know, and one thing I really wanted you to dive into, you know, just jumping in is you guys have some specific, you know, items over at your school that separates you uh, from the rest. And I wanted you to kind of open up the technology that you guys have and, you know, what's all available there. So here we have a biomechanics research lab on campus. Pretty actually nice facility, not very large, but has a lot of equipment in it. So we have an eight camera Vicon motion capture system. We have two force plates and we have, there's there's another set of camera systems in there. I don't know exactly what the name of it, but we're able to go up to, I think about 800 frames per second um, on still shots if we'd like to. So we've been using that. I think this is the third time we've had our girls tested uh, in December. And we've used it to basically revamp everything we've done in the weight room and as far as our warm-up stretches and our mobility program that we've implemented in the training room. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, you know, before we dive into a lot of those, the team aspects and a lot of the things that you had uh, trained, I really wanted you to open up. You know, now that you're using this technology, you know, how have you been using this technology to make hitters better? Uh, it's funny. I, we um, So actually, the where my office is located and where, like, the cafeteria food courts are, I walk past the lab every day. So mm-hmm. I got here January of last year. You know, obviously, you had to dive right in. We, they were already practicing when I showed up. So there was a lot going on. But we were coming back from Texas Tech on the bus, and I didn't have I didn't have any cameras. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have any technology. I didn't have anything. All they had, all I had was word of mouth of what I was saying and trying to show the girls through field purpose. And so we're sitting on the bus and talking to my head coach. And I was like, man, I just, I wish I had something like we got a fundraise. We got to do something. And she goes, you know, we have a kinesiology lab on campus. I go, really? She's like, yeah, I've never been in it, but I mean, I think we have one. So I pull out my phone and look it up and, that if you if you go to if you go online and look it up, you can see there's like nets and we've got a force play and there's a bipod and like pictures and stuff. So I start reading about all the stuff in there. And so my heart I start like sweating. So I <laughs> asked her, I said, Do you think I said, Do you think we can use this? She goes, I don't know. She's like, I'll send an email and see. So she emails um Dr. Yama, who's our uh biomechanist, and she's like, Yeah, you guys can come in and look at the lab. What do you guys want to do? And she was like, what do you want to do in there? I don't know. I just, can we just see, let me just see it. Let's just see it first. And let's just see if this is viable. Cause I don't know if it's like a little small room, if it's something you can run or throw, I have no idea. So we set it up for the following week and we took uh, three, we, we went in there as a coaching staff. Dr. Yama's got the screens up. She's got golf players. She's got baseball players. She's got all these 3d scans going on. She goes, well, you know, what can I help you guys with? And I says, well, I says, could we get our, all of our girls tested on this and you could send us the data from the, the force plays, the ground forces, the sequence, all those things? She's like, yeah, I can do that. She's like, but I've never tested a softball player before, so I don't know, like, where I need to put the markers. So if you could bring a, co- a pitcher and a hitter for me to, for us to demo so I can know exactly where to place the markers, so the process will be much quicker. Okay, so we went back uh, about two weeks later, took uh, a pitcher and a hitter, and it took us about uh, it took us about two hours 
because she had to get on, she had to get on, she had to get the wand and get it going. And then we had to place the markers and then she had to set them up and then we had to take them off and redo them where, where the cameras weren't picking up. So it took about two hours um, just for those two, just so we could get an idea of, of where, so she could write them down. And so we did that and took a couple swings and she cuts the image and she shows us the image. And I go, okay. I said, this is going to be a game changer for us. So we went and got, um, this was at the end of last year. So we went and got all of our returners tested. Um, she sent me all the numbers over. Then I sat down with the strength coach and our trainer based on issues that I knew that they had in their movement ability. And then based on what our strength coach had seen in the weight room. And then based on the data, we basically redid our strength and conditioning program for the summer. So after the summer, we got all the, get all the newcomers in, retested the newcomers, did the same thing um, with the strength coach. So we went, but the returners were already on their plan. We just continued that through the eight weeks. And then at the end of the eight weeks, we just retested everyone. And we're going to use that information for the in-season program because the in-season program has to change on the date and based on travel. So we're going to have to modify um, what we do when and then what we do on the road. Yeah, man, what a resource to have. I'm, I'm kind of interested how you guys as a staff use it in this sense. Uh, how has the lab changed the way, um, if at all, how has it changed the way you guys approach practice planning? And how has it changed your hit, hitting philosophy when it comes to more of the team dynamic? Um, hasn't changed the practice planning much other than a lot of the corrective uh, stretches. Instead of doing that like in the weight room or separate, that, that's our warm-up now. So that's how they warm up. So every day you're getting some type of corrective stretch or activation or however you want to look at it. So every day you do that. So that's the only thing that's really changed from practice planning. From a hitting-wise, um, basically it cuts down the time you let the girls experiment because you know you have an idea what they can and can't do already. Mm-hmm. And so instead of just throwing a whole bunch of stuff at the wall and hoping something sticks, you can narrow it down to say, okay, based on based on what we've got in the lab and from Lexi, our strength coach, as far as movement wise, you should you fit in one of these few categories. So we're gonna work in these areas. Now let's find some moves. Number one that you're comfortable with, and number two that you can repeat that are inside, you know, this kind of framework. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. And, you know, just like you said, I said, uh, one thing I think is really important that you just touched on there is uh, I know there's this big idea going around right now that, you know, um, while we while things are individualized, um, there is there is, as Bosch likes to say, uh, likes to say, is that there is different ways of doing something, but there's only so many ways. You know, mm-hmm. and so when you're producing, when you're producing force or anything like that, and you know, especially when you're hitting, you know, you have a similar task. Yeah, don't get me wrong. There is a whole bunch of different ways you could do it, but at the same time, there's only so many different ways you can do it. So in that same sense, just like you're saying, you can. Um, there is little tweaks between every single hitter that you can kind of play with. But just like you know, like when we use our lab over here, we come across the same thing. We we come across you know guys producing force in this way and guys producing force and compensating this way, or you know, and then throwing them in the groups and then kind of making adjustments again. Like this guy, you know, because he's so tight, he's not going to be able to do this move, or you know, etc. So we definitely uh, you know understand that from that perspective for sure. Uh, the big thing is it helps the girls. Like, like, like my girls don't 
they don't know any of their numbers really per se. Mm -hmm. Um, but it helps when you sit them down and you show them, you know, you show them the graph next to their scan and you say, okay, like when we, when we play and you struggle in this area, this is why now watch this. And then they can see it. You know, like I I tell them, your 3d scan doesn't lie. Like, video usually doesn't lie, but you can fool video a little bit. But if when they put your 3D skeleton up there, like, it is what it is. So mm-hmm. it's, this is what's happening. This is what you're really doing. So th- when I tell you to do X, Y, and Z, this is what I'm talking about right here. It's like, oh, okay, I can see that. Yeah, man, I wanted to um, transition a little bit and have you open this part up. We were talking about it briefly before we hopped on the call. You know, in a picture releases the ball in baseball it comes more on a downhill plane um mm-hmm. softball softball obviously there's a variety of different planes mainly due to the rise ball um mm-hmm. can you kind of you kind of open up how you train adjustability when it comes to matching pitch plane so for us basically what happens in baseball because of the downhill plane baseball usually hits majestic like home runs that look like they disappear into the night. (laughs) But girls usually don't hit balls like that because we have to guard against upspin. So Mm -hmm. girls usually more hit more line drive type home runs and not like the huge high fly balls because you can't really sell out all the time for the middle to lower part of the strike zone because if you, you know, you tilt before you swing, then you, you're going to expose yourself to the upspin pitch. So with that being said, it's really critical that the girls understand that. Like, hey, you got to swing the tilt. Like, don't pre, like, start it. Because if it spins up, like, you're going to be, you're going to miss under. Like, you have no chance to stay to, I, I tell them to pivot a ball above. You don't have a chance to do that if you start to tilt before you ever start to swing. Mm-hmm. But, so, but the biggest difference, really, is just, Baseball, the arc of the barrel doesn't change a whole lot. It's pretty consistent because, again, the ball is coming in a downhill plane, whereas in our game, the arc changes all the time. So you'll have, like, if the ball's up in the zone, the arc's really flat. But the shoulders are still sloped. And then you get someone that's spinning the ball down, and now, you know, they look like a traditional baseball hitter where the shoulders are – there's a lot of side bend and and all those things. but that happens that that range is very very fluid so that's why i think that a lot of coaches get confused and they think okay you got to stay on top of the up ball and get under the down ball it's like no you get under both of them but the arc changes all the time because of that Mm -hmm. i was gonna say too uh you know kind of thinking about that is that i could see how in softball you'd see a lot more uh east west swings you know, a lot more flatter swings uh, when it comes to that, mm-hmm. like hitters that usually work in that plane. And then, you know, obviously like in baseball, you can have guys like Mike Trout that are more north-south um, that really sell out, like you're saying, to the bottom of the zone. Majority, you know, 90% of the pitches he's going to see are going to be, you know, the highest, you know, at his waist or lower. Uh, not too many guys thrown at the top of the zone, even if they have high spin rates and stuff like that. It's really hard to locate up, um, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it's actually funny, just like you said like that, it's, even in baseball, when you have that, because of that problem of you throwing down a mound, um, when guys try to throw up to Mike Trout, uh, more often than not, they actually miss down the middle. If you go look at his heat map, 
Um, you know, right. so that's a problem. Obviously, guys trying to throw up in the zone and then they keep missing, you know, at his waist. Uh, obviously, with, you know, Trout, that's not going to play out too well either. So um, and then obviously all of the breaking pitches are going down. So everything's mm-hmm. going down. So in baseball, you'll see a lot more uh, north south uh, swings. And then, like you said, correct. in softball, I've seen a lot of uh, east west motions. So, yes, correct. definitely, definitely correct. really, really interesting. And then, you know, correct. one thing one thing I wanted to touch on that you had mentioned earlier uh, when you were talking about the, um, you know, obviously having the 3D graphs and seeing the bones, uh, the, mo- the bones move from the biomechanics lab. Um, you know, one thing I, I really love to touch on with that is obviously when guys first start seeing that one thing, I, a misconception I do see um, is a lot of times people tend to look at a graph or a 3D motion capture of the bones moving and then start to get this perspective of, you know, they lose sight of like, you know, what's actually moving the bones, you know, mm-hmm. and that's obviously a very important um, aspect because a lot of people, you know, obviously they see the scan, they see the hips going, they see them, you know, disassociating from the shoulders and they're getting, you know, the hips are going first and the shoulders come and then the arms go, you know, and, it, and they're seeing, you know, this kinetic chain sequence and then um, guys are trying to do that with their body. And then all of a sudden you get all these disconnected hitters, you know, yeah. um, cause they're not, they're not understanding what's actually going on in the body and what's actually moving those bones. Um, yes. and so like, that's, that's one thing I wanted to touch on there too, because, you know, I know right now on uh, social media, uh, there's a whole bunch of, you know, these 3d motion capture, uh, swings popping up and everybody's like, look, it's the hips, it's the shoulders. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not moving like that. <laughs> you're right. you're moving a different way you think you're moving in that order in that sequence and also too even if you're moving in that sequence and even if you're capturing energy and yeah you can you can throw a haymaker and yeah you can you know capture all this energy and you're producing a ton of force but the problem is is we're underneath the time constraint you're not just hitting a ball off a tee you know right um so there's 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 a lot of different variables in there um but i wanted to add that to you because i know you and i have had some discussions you know about uh some of that perspectives you know yeah um i actually got this question when i did the flow softball shoot she asked me how does moving like this increase exit velocity and i says well i said you know i'm being honest in this shoot so i'm gonna be honest now i said max max exit velocity i'm not really concerned with from this perspective Mm -hmm. so if i have a girl that's EVing 85 miles an hour, but she's shifting to swing to do it, she's going to get her 85 off maybe two out of 10 swings. Whereas if I take a girl that's EVing between, say, 68 and 73, but she's, you know, hinging, loading the glute, glute hamstring correctly, she's going to get her range of swings off eight to 10 times. I want yeah. that hitter because that yeah. hitter is going to find more barrels. More mm-hmm. barrels means better chance for hitting. So, yeah. sure, if I can get the girl that's 85 to mm-hmm. move the same way that the girl said, then, yeah, I'm going to take the girl that's 85 because she's going to hit the ball harder. But, you know, being able to max out at a high number is, yes, good, but we've got to be able to find that range consistently, which means we've got to be able to time. Because if mm-hmm. we can time, we can hit. If we can't yeah. time, we can't hit. Yeah, absolutely. No, and that's a great point. The same thing, just like you're saying, like they have to um, hitting much more dynamic than just like you're saying. If you it, it, I would tell our hitters to hit completely different if that ball wasn't moving. 
If that thing was sitting on a tee, we would do some things. If the ball was coming, you know, again, if, and, and even this, this same sense, you know, even if we're, if we were if the task was in real baseball to hit front toss, we would hit different. Mm-hmm. We would do a whole bunch of different things. We'd have, I'd have guys compensate into their back. I'd have guys do all of those things. But the problem, the problem with that is that the ball's not moving at 40 miles an hour. The ball's moving, right. you know, especially when you get up higher, those balls are moving 90, 95 miles an hour. And that thing's sinking, cutting guys are tunneling. They're throwing sliders, you know, like we, we have live ABs here last night and you got, you got the pro guy, a lefty pro guy that's up to 96 and he's also got a slider and he tunnels. You know, like in the backdoor, he's just backdoor slider. And it's just like, it's just like when you, when you put those together and you look how hard and actually like, you know, um, what everything the pitcher is trying to do to get you not to hit the ball, um, you get a much different picture um, than I can, I can definitely see at lower levels where, you know, people are just like, oh, I just want to see how far I can hit this baseball. It's like, that's great. But I can also tell you from experiences, I was that guy when I was younger. And then as I went up in the ranks and yeah, and batting practice, like Bo would tell you, you know, I hit nine home runs, but guess what? Game time comes, you know, I'd be lights out striking, striking out like crazy. Cause I have this big old swing and all this hip shoulder separation. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting this max, you know, I'm getting a lot of barrel speed and I'm getting all these things, but I'm not catching barrels just like you're saying, but then I'd hit a, right. a ball 500 feet foul, you know, it's just like, right. that's great you know, you produced all this force, but at the end of the day, like, that's not like, I wasn't a good hitter because of that. You know, um, I produced a lot of force and yeah, I was strong. You know, I could do how to 500 pound deadlift. I could do all those things, but just like you're saying, like there was guys that had slower bat speeds to me. There was guys that were producing less force that were much better hitters than I was. Agree. It's, it's, it's always a give and take. There's, There's always a cause and effect. There's always, you know, there's always contrasting things. And the ability to mold all those things and give, you know, whoever you're working with, you know, what you think is the best guidance is always, it's always something that you have to walk. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to pick your brain about this because this was, uh, you know, because it's changed for me a lot. So I wanted to kind of pick your brain. Um, Now that you have the lab and you have the ability to try out some of these things, let it be, you know, drills, let it be, you know, different thoughts or, you know, you saw something work and you didn't understand why. And then you guys get in the lab and you play around, Um, you know, how has your perspective about the swing uh, changed since you've been using the lab? Um, I didn't know a whole lot about the, the whole ground force thing as far as what actually happens, the interaction between the foot and the ground and the, and your hip and all that thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But so I'll give you an example. I got a young lady who's a senior uh, last year, really struggled, didn't hinge. She hinged okay at the start, but didn't stay in that position very well as she moved out. Had a decent bat pass. You know, she had a good pivot. She understood all those things, but just had a tough time. She'd get blown up a lot, and I just did not have no idea why. So went and tested her, and on her scan, as she moved forward, the foot – would come off of the ground, her back foot. So she would start with the whole foot on the ground. And then as she moved forward, the weight would shift to the toe. And basically the red line on her graph would disappear. Like it would just leave. And then yeah. you would see like the torso try to generate a bunch of energy. And then the yeah. front foot would land really hard. It's like, okay, so she's out of sequence. Like that's a really bad out of sequence move. Mm-hmm. So, you know, talk with her and she's like, yeah, yeah, I try and do it. But she had a really hard time consistently repeating it. I'm like, okay, this has to be a physical issue. So tested her. She has um, limited dorsiflexion on her right leg. So if you think about how the sling works, 
if your dorsiflexion is limited on your right leg, she's left-handed, by the way, as you start to move, you can only go so far before your leg starts to get tight. Well, if you get in pain, you're going to do something to compensate for that. So mm-hmm. if I'm in pain, I'm, if I ease up onto my toe, then my le- my left le- my right leg is not pulling near as hard. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, you have a dorsiflexion issue. So I said, this is what you need to do. So I get my trainer and says, hey, this lady needs to roll out her right calf like it's really tight. If we get it to loosen up, she can stay in a hinge better and a bunch of better things happen. So she does it for about three or four weeks. Um, talking with the strength coach, she's like, yeah, she's getting in a, she's staying in a hinge better when she deadlifts and squats. I'm like, okay, so we're getting somewhere. So get to the fall, she's cleaned up a few things, but get to the fall, and she starts absolutely raking. Like she stays in the So go back and retest her, put her back on. The foot is now staying on the ground as she moves the entire time. So she's probably, if you were to watch like quote-unquote textbook looks like, she's mm-hmm. almost perfect as far as, moving forward and you can see her hip pull her whole foot and then she launches and the foot comes with her. It's like almost textbook. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, and then since you just mentioned that uh, right there too, I really want you to dive into that because that's something that, you know, we presented on uh, from one away to over at Palooza, but I know it's something that people are still having, you know, issues. Even when you have posted some things about it the other day about, you know, the hips rotating the back leg and the back leg doesn't uh, rotate the hips. And I wanted you to open that up and kind of explain that. Cause I know that's something that people have a hard time like wrapping their head around. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I didn't know. I did. I had heard that, but didn't really understand it till I sat there and watched girl after girl after girl swing off a force plate. Like, I mean, it's really, it's really, you can really tell like when, if the energy is not being transferred correctly, between the legs, then it's it's really easy to see. Like, I mean, it's just right there in front of you. So, but the so when you move forward, what should happen is your hip pulls your leg forward, and your back foot almost becomes unweighted to a to an extent. That's kind of why you get the pulling action. Mm-hmm. And then when the swing is launched, the hip will pull everything around. Here's the but here's the the kind of kicker now. So if someone has extreme internal rotation on their back hip, say someone like a Springer, when they go to pull, their foot may not come around. But they're still in a fine position. It doesn't hurt them. They just have a lot of mobility in the back hip. I have a girl that's like that. Does everything correctly. She can get, she can get her belt buckle on the, on the left side of the pitcher and her back foot be planted on the ground. But wow. that. It's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, and we've had, I've talked with her, her people that she worked with in high school. They told me, she says, dude, she's got, she's got like Gumby like rotation on right hip. Okay. My strength coach said the same thing. And I tried, so that's just, it just is what it is. So for me to like be on her and be like, Hey, you, you know, you got to get your back foot around. It's like, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> but that's something that, but, but it's something like I've had to accept because quote unquote, it doesn't look right. Well, that doesn't mm-hmm. look right. Like your foot should turn. Well, yeah. yeah, it should, unless you're hurt, then it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Um, I kind of want to circle back to an idea we touched on earlier with creating lift. I think there's a misconception. We have to catch the ball out front early, kind of make an early move or tilt, uh, as you mentioned earlier. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard you talk on your Twitter about letting that ball travel, get deep and making more of a turn to the baseball. Um, uh-huh. Can you open up your philosophy behind that? So you don't, again, 
we have to guard against upspin. So if you start, if you quote unquote preset kind of your shoulder angle as you move forward, you can only cover one area of the zone. So sure, if the ball shows up there, you may hit it a mile. But if it doesn't, you're going to have a tough time adjusting because you've already set your body at a certain angle. So you, I, as I said, you have to swing. So I have to guard at the top of the strike zone. And then as I recognize location, I've got to be able to hinge and bend to now put myself in position to have the bat on plane. But I can't already have a predetermined area that I'm going to swing in because if the ball doesn't show up in that area, I'm going to have a tough time adjusting. So that's that's kind of what I say when you when you hear swing the tilt, don't already tilt, and then try and swing at the ball. Um, you got to – I tell some of my girls, and make sure you stay over the back leg. You shouldn't be leaning, starting to lean back as you go forward because now you're presetting yourself and you don't want to do that. Yeah, no, and uh, I wanted to pick your brain about this as well. Um, it's something that we see often with a lot of the – hitters that we have over here, um, especially a lot of our elite guys, but I wanted to kind of pick your brain from the softball side if you guys see the same thing. Um, do you guys do uh, like movement screens like in the beginning, like check guys, you know, like their hips and stuff like that? Yeah, I do some things and my, uh, my do some things. My strength coach does some and then my trainer will also do some and we'll kind of cut one and we'll collaborate on all three. If there's consistency, if you mm-hmm. see something that I didn't, um, we'll all sit down and, and go over all that together. Gotcha. Do you do you guys uh, often see like limited um, IR in the back hip? Yeah, a lot of that's from sitting down. They sit down so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, it's, I mean, it's a combination of a bunch of different things. Yeah. You know, they sit down a lot. They don't. They don't really lift. If they lift, they lift improper. Mm-hmm. So the 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 understanding of full range of motion. Not only from a from a strength standpoint, but from a hitting standpoint, it's 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 an interesting road to road to walk with some of these some of these girls. Some of them, it's just a motor function; like they just don't know how to do it. Yeah, like that nobody's yeah. ever told or shown them how to you know how to use whatever body part this way, and they they don't even know that they can do it. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah, we we um, and I I still need to uh, collab with you on this too. We had. We actually started talking to our biomechanist about this, and um, I was one thing that we seen, and I'm, uh, this actually probably makes sense definitely to you um, on this side. Is you know how obviously on the throwing side that uh, throwers when they if you text if you uh, check a thrower's shoulder, he has less internal rotation on his throwing side. Yeah. Right. Yes. So obviously right. ball and ball and socket joint, right? So ball and socket joint, same thing in our hip, right? So when we when we hit, and this is something that we present on, on, on at uh, Palooza as well when we were talking about the hip in this thing, is when hitters go to hit, um, you can you can get into external rotation uh, two different ways with your hips, right? So either either I can just turn my foot outward, right? Turn I can turn it mm-hmm. towards the catcher, right, and I can get into mm-hmm. external rotation that way, or mm-hmm. I can keep my foot planted and just turn my hips away from my foot, and then I also mm-hmm. get into external rotation, right? So obviously, Correct. obviously, when uh, a lot of hitters when they go to when they go to hit, um, they do that big move where again the hips go right, and then the foot stays planted. Especially elite guys, right? The foot stays planted, the hips go, and so we keep slamming into external rotation over and over and over and over again, almost like a throw, 
over and over and over and over again. And then while the hips turn and the, the femur actually starts rotating, right, internally rotating, right, towards the pitcher, right, if you get mm-hmm. that, uh, that idea in your head. We don't actually, and I want you to go back and like look at uh, your film and you can start watching like guys too. We started, we got this from our biomechanist over at Movement First, is that the femur never actually internally rotates in the hip socket. What it does is it internally rotates from external rotation, but it gets back to neutral and never because the hips, because the hips, the hips are turning and so is the femur. So it doesn't actually internally rotate it just rotates externally back to neutral position and so because we never use internal rotation in our back hip um just like our our shoulder right like we keep slamming into external rotation every time we throw a ball and then they came out a couple years ago and they're like oh well that's why all these guys are having shoulder issues is because of GERD GERD is the biggest thing you know um you know basically um, they were saying because they have no internal rotation and got some PTs still believe this is like, that's why they're getting hurt. But what they came out with new studies, you know, like five years after that, they were telling them they're like, we were dumb. That was wrong. People were getting hurt because they didn't have any external rotation. So like, basically they're saying this is that the body is adapting to a demand, right? If we're constantly yeah. slamming something into an external rotation and never using internal rotation, um, just like when we, you know, get in the weight room or anything like that, if we don't use it, we lose it. And that's not necessarily something that we need to have. Like if our, if our body needed, um, internal rotation, just like it needs external rotation, it would adapt, right? It would tell, it would start, uh, building, it would start, uh, giving us an internal rotation because we're, we're constantly using it. But when we don't use it, the body starts adapting to the demand that's placed upon it. And, um, so what happens is, is a lot of times, just like the shoulder, you know, how they say it should have 180 degrees and, you know, with throwers, they, a lot of them still have 180 degrees, but it's, um, you know, it's a lot of it is external instead of it being like level on both sides. And, um, right. we see the same perspective from like the hip, right? So a lot of times we'll see a lot of our elite guys, like majority of our pro guys, almost every single pro guy that we get into, um, that we come, that comes here, they all have limited IR on the back hip, like every single guy. So like if we were on uh, one thing Eugene likes to say is like, if we were on an island, if we were on an island and you, there was these five guys that were, you know, hitting balls, you know, you know, forever, you know, 400 foot, you know, rocks they, they were just crushing. We wouldn't look at those guys and go, oh, let me figure out, you know, uh, well, these guys hit the ball hard and these guys don't hit the ball hard. Let me let me measure the guys that don't hit the ball hard and try to make the guys that do hit the ball hard uh, like the guys that don't. You know, we would we would look at it the opposite direction. So if these guys all have limited IR in their back hip, right, and they're the most elite guys and their bodies adapting to that demand um, and creating that, we should probably look more from a perspective of, Okay, why do they have limited IR? And also, too, of course, they're not like a normal human being. They're an elite athlete, you know? So Correct. They, so our, our mindset when we kind of got this from our biomechanist was she was saying the same thing, was that we started really learning that we have to be careful when we're just like all of a sudden trying to adapt an athlete's body because we don't know – we don't know. Again, it's the body's responding to a demand, not always a good demand, right? Obviously, there's guys that are compensating and doing some things that we have to correct that will always be there. But also, too, there is some there is something, a correlation when even all of our majority of our elite guys and even, too, if you're in the professional world and you're listening to this, you know that majority of your guys have limited IR in their back hip. 
that there might be a correlation with that and force production, you know? Agreed. I agree with that. So I would say to to your statement there, what I what I would say, what I try and do is I try not to tell, make, or have them do something that I said to do. So I I try to guide, and then I want to see what they try and do. And if they are starting to form moves and such that I see them gravitating towards, then I will either encourage or modify. So I think the idea of just testing and saying, okay, do this, this, and this, I don't think that's quite all of it because I want my girls, all of their moves that they do make to be authentic, not something that I told them to do or they should do, but that they came up with on their own. Because if they come up with it on their own and they understand what they're doing, they can repeat them more and more and more, and then you start, then you add in the game element they can adjust a little bit better because they understand what they're doing to time, not something that someone else told them to do to try and time. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And I also, yeah, like obviously with your girls, I can say to that, uh, you know, watching a lot of your girls move, a lot of them have their own styles and they all move different and they all have, um, you know, obviously there's some general force production principles that they all have in that sense Mm -hmm. or that they're working towards, but they all have their own styles. They all have their own flow. They all have their own rhythm. You know, there's definitely no, um, you know, there's not a, you wouldn't say that there's a lot of cloning there. Like they're all authentic in their own way. And like you, I think you do a great job of, uh, letting them do their thing, but also, you know, getting across some of those key principles. Um, I wanted to kind of uh, switch gears here and I, cause I think this is another big thing that you and I have talked about and I think is a big, uh, you know, misconception when it comes into the world of, of hitting a moving object. But, um, you know, you and I have obviously talked in length about, you know, just trying to swing hard and, you know, just over and over and over again, just guys just trying to swing as hard as they can and swing as hard as they can. Um, you know, and how that doesn't directly correlate to being able to hit. Um, can you open that up about kind of like that conception of everybody just trying to swing harder and faster and, um, you know, kind of dive into that quite a bit? Uh, again, I, you know, I touched on a little early. Again, I am not concerned about maximum exit velo if it's done in the wrong, if you're, if it's done in the wrong fashion. Yes. Again, we know a few key things. If I hit the ball harder, I have a better chance. If I have more bat speed, I got a better chance. If I throw harder, I have a better chance. After that, it's all maybe to me because mm-hmm. then I need to be able to mold it because, like, I need hitters. I need people that can hit because I'm trying to win games. Like, I'm not trying to win metrics. I'm not trying to have <laughs> the most girls with the most exit velo. I'm trying to have <laughs> the most wins, get to the conference tournament, win the conference, and maybe get to a regional. So, yes, you hitting the ball harder absolutely helps me. But you hitting the ball is what I need you to do. So that being said, we're going to try, for me, what I'm going to try and do is we're going to try and build us a gather and loading pattern that's going to help you find the most barrels. Now we start finding a bunch of barrels. Okay, let's see if we can increase the bat through, you know, weight room or whatever. Let's see if we can increase the exit velo, whether it's weighted bats, plyo balls, whatever that may be. But at the end of the day, I need you to hit. Not swing yeah. hard, not be out of control, but I need you to hit and find barrels. Yeah. I like uh, you had mentioned you had mentioned right there uh, as well. You mentioned this to me the other day, and I thought this was a key point. 
Uh, can you also dive into um, again in that same that same philosophy? You're talking about how you know being able to take and being able to decide later in your swing when you should go and when you should stop. Can you also like open that up when it comes off that same point? Man, I, that's if you if you were to watch us play, that's one of the more more impressive things I think about us as a team right now. We're still, some of the girls are still getting a little bit better at it, but for the most part, the ability to take the tough ball that's down, the ability to lay off the one that spins up that's pretty good, the ability to lay off the changeup that starts, you know, mid-thigh, and you see it falling before the, below the zone and you're able to take, and then re-leverage the count against the pitcher. Because there's nothing worse pitching-wise mentality. When you get a hitter in a spot, you throw a good pitch that should put them on the way, and they take it. And now you got to throw another pitch. And say you miss with that pitch. Now the pitcher is seeing two extra, or the hitter is seeing two extra, and is able to re-leverage the count against you. When the pitcher gets you ahead, they want to be able to throw a good one, and you go ahead and roll it over, probably swing and miss or whatever, and they be done with it. They don't want you to take, and now i got to try, try to make another pitch. Because over the length of the game, trying to make another pitch and another pitch and another pitch, eventually they're going to add up. And we don't know who in the lineup is going to get the swing off after all that is added up. But if we all keep hammering at it, somebody's going to get a couple pitches, and then we got to be ready to go. So I think not just being able to obviously hit the ball harder and hit it farther and all those things, but the ability to make the decision later, the ability to take a pitch that you may have swung at if you were shifty and pushy is going to put you over the course of a season in a much in much better leverage count. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that's a huge part and really an offensive approach. Um, we trained that a lot when I was at Utah Valley. How do you kind of train that, or is that more in your approach, like a yes, yes, no, or how do you instill that in your guys or your your girls there? Um, you can do it. You can train it off the machine. You can train the timing stuff off the machine. Uh, obviously, live is the best component because you don't know what's coming and the pitchers changing speeds and all those things. Um, but you can train it off the machine. Uh, we do a lot of things where they get started and then I decide when I throw the ball or I decide when I drop the ball in the machine. So I have to be able to control going forward with what I see. So I, I, I've got to be able to either hold the energy and delay and then let it go or let the energy go as soon as I see it. So we almost want, I tell them, you've probably heard this before, I want the swing to come instantly. Like I don't want you, if you have to think about, ball then swing you're going to be late it's just yeah. swing and you and if you've got the energy in the right areas you should just be able to just swing if you have to do something after you see the ball and recognize to then get your barrel to start going you're going to be wrong you're going to be too late and you're not going to be able to do these things like make later decisions you're going to have to make a decision earlier which means your chase rate's probably going to go up and all those things that you don't want yeah yeah how much more reactively i mean softball it's closer that's why baseball players struggle so much how much of reactively is it harder to have more of that approach um and and take those pitches later um you know i'm still in the i'm still in the early stages of that so i can't definitively tell you what that is i just know from last year to this year that for for a lot of my girls it's gotten infinitely better um, they're able to get a lot more swings off. I don't have, I mean, unfortunately, I don't have like 
flight scope or anything like that to really be able to narrow down and say, okay, this means this. Like, I just don't have access to that type of stuff. Yeah. But I, I, I know facing, you know, facing our girls, um, that's one of the main things that our pitchers always say is like, like, I feel like I'm never, until they're actually out, I'm never out of the woods with anybody because I get ahead of 0-2 and I still don't really feel good because if I miss with two pitches, now it's 2-2, I don't want to go 3 and they're and, and I know that they're ready to hit. Yeah, I think I think that has a lot to do with uh, just like, like you were saying, like when when guys sequence well or when uh, just hitters pairs, uh, obviously, when they, when they sequence well and they sequence where – they don't have to early commit to balls or they don't have to cheat basically to get to balls. That's when they can start taking, uh, you know, they can, if, if you can have a hitter, if they're quicker to contact, right. And they also have a sequence mm-hmm. where they don't have to catch every ball way out front or in a specific zone out there. You just gained, you know, five feet at least. And someone, right. in, you know, and, and those five feet are worth, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, are you swinging yeah. at sliders in the dirt? Or you know, if you sit, are you hitting that ball over the fence? You know, it's a there's and the, a big and the, and the tougher yeah. and the tougher thing about our game, and, I, and I've said that to our girls, and our girls understand that. But the tougher thing about our game is you don't face elite velocity like until you get to probably the upper levels of the P5 or international. Mm-hmm. And when I say elite, I'm talking about girls. Every time it leaves their hand, it's going to be 68 plus. Like you, yeah. There's just not a bunch of those just lying around out in softball most of the time. So if you start talking about this stuff to a, a 14-U travel ball coach, well, why do we need extra time? We're going to see girls throwing 52, 53 miles. It, that, it doesn't really yeah. matter. You can, if I'm a better athlete, I can shift out there, no big deal. But yeah. if it's 63, 64, and it's spinning pretty well with the secondary, yeah. uh, you may not be able to shift as much. Mm-hmm. And then when it turns into 68 to 71, 72, up, down with the secondary, if you shift at all, you, you're out. But it's just not a bunch of those running around out there so people can see it all the time. Like, all right, you, you shift against this girl. You're in, like, it's just not out there. So that's the only unfortunate thing about our game, whereas, I mean, you could go just about to any high school game right now and probably everybody's got a 90 arm. So you shift against the 90 arm, you're in trouble because this ball is going to be on you. Yeah. So interesting. And as we near the end of the show here, um, we have a lot of young coaches listening. You're still pretty fresh into the coaching gig. Um, from your perspective, what advice do you have for younger coaches uh, tuning in when it comes to separating yourself and kind of gaining an influence, uh, maybe getting on a radar? Um, I would say for me, what I did, and I've heard this a lot, your, your playing experience is important like the what you went through, what you learned, all those things. I teach almost nothing of what I learned playing, almost mm-hmm. nothing. So I would say not, yes, lean on your playing experience because they absolutely helped, but be willing to keep learning outside of what you were coached to do. Um, That's probably the biggest thing. The, uh, the second thing is you may not like the tech that's in the game or that's coming, Yep. But at least know how it works, what it does, and maybe how to use it. Or where if you got to a spot where they asked you to use it, it wouldn't take you that long to figure out how to use it. Um, don't just ignore it and just throw it to the wayside. Because there will come a point in time where every school, regardless of budget, will have something. Whether it's 
a single blast sensor and a single, I don't know, some type of camera. Like, they, everybody will have something that they can use. So at least know and understand how all the stuff works. Like, for me, I have my GoPro and a blast sensor and then our lab. Like, that's all the tech I have. But I understand how the flight scope works. I understand how the Rapsodo works. I understand how the hit tracks works. That would take me a little time to really know the intricacies of it, but I understand what it's supposed to do. So if I get to a position to where I can get one, I, I wouldn't buy it, plug it up, look at it a couple of times, like I don't know how to work this thing, and then just be sitting there collecting dust. Like it would actually be useful for us. So at least have an idea of what those things and tools can help you with. Those are probably my two biggest things I would give to anybody that's young. Just continue to learn, continue to learn your craft. Um, get in the cage, you know, work with hitters. My first, when I first got into it, I hurt more people than I helped because <laughs> I, I understood how to do it myself, but I couldn't get somebody else to do it. And I knew if I wanted to coach, it didn't matter if I could hit anymore because I wasn't playing. I need you to be able to hit. So I've got to be able to convey the message to you. So get the only way to to help hitters is to get in the cage. You're gonna jack some up. I still I still jack some up now, but you've got to get in there to where you can help build kind of your personal database, so you can have some things to go to when you see some similar movers. Or you're always gonna be in this one position of well I know what it's supposed to look like, but like I only know how to put you in these drills. Well, it's a little bit more than that. You've got to be able to talk. You know, you got to be able to talk your players through a lot of things. I just actually had a, a text conversation with a, somebody that I talked to quite a bit, and she kept asking me, how do you do it? How do you do it? I said, honestly, it's a lot of conversation. I said, once the mm -hmm. players understand that they're not going to be punished or ridiculed for a mistake, I said, it actually gets pretty easier. They're, they're, they're more willing to try different things because they're not going to get quote-unquote yelled at or embarrassed if they do it wrong. Like, they know that they can ask questions and try and then go down and experiment on their own and then bring it back and say, well, Coach Carlton, what do you think about this? I, I think I like this. You think this will play? Okay, let's talk about it. Okay, here are the pros. Here are the cons. Are you okay with that? Yeah, I think I can handle it. Okay, well, then let's start to go with it. And, and, and you want the conversation like that, not go down there, you know, you guys got 30 minutes, do these handful of drills. And, you know, that'd be it. Yeah, man, love that. Such good advice and definitely our job to grow and adequately communicate and continually evolve uh, with the game and the way it's going. So appreciate you opening that up. If any of those guys listening in today have any questions about anything that we've covered during this uh, during this talk, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Uh, probably just send me a, a direct message on Twitter is probably the best way to do it. My DMs are open. You know, I help as much as I can. I can't, okay, per NCAA rules, I can't help current collegiate athletes. So, you know, I've had a couple that have sent me some messages. Hey, what do you think about this? And I was like, I don't respond because I can't. It's mm -hmm. considered tampering. So if you're a player, sorry, like I, there's nothing that I can do for you. Um, but if you're a coach or whatever, I usually I have open DMs. Again, my Google Drive, which, you know, a lot of people ask about, it's pinned to the top of my page. I think right now I just added a couple from last night. It's probably close to 1,200 videos in the whole thing. So, I mean, they're all labeled. Um, what you should be able to see is, is labeled to the top of each video. 
you know, there's that thing. There's that thing you can go and look at. I mean, it's all softball. I think I got two or three baseball in there just because a couple things that I really liked that they were doing and I thought I wanted to show. But it's all softball. Everything in there is softball. Love it. Love it. Well, uh, Carlton, uh, again, I he's serious about that. If uh, I, I slide into his DMs all the time, <laughs> <laughs> Sea Salt nineteen. Make sure to make sure to hit that up and get get uh uh, get some information from him. Um, great guy to keep your mind on it, especially when it comes into uh, player development. But guys, um, you know, I, I appreciate obviously the conversation and um, Carlton, thanks for jumping on with us. We really appreciate it and uh, everything you're, you know, giving back to the game and uh, continue to push the game forward. No, appreciate you having me. I'm glad to uh, sit down and talk and, and share some, some ideas behind some of the things that we're we're trying to get implemented here. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Man, so awesome to get someone like Carlton on and really bring his insight in. This call takeaway is brought to you by Quality at Bats. Don't forget to visit qualityatbats.com to further your mental approach to the game. Yeah, man, what an in-depth combo. What was your biggest call takeaway, Joey? Uh, my biggest thing with uh, Carlton every single time we talk is, again, very forward-thinking and uh, innovative and also to – um, I would say the same thing too, that he's very uh, data influenced, but at the same time too, he's, he's still tied to the results, right? Um, he doesn't care what the, da- the data says if it's not increasing the results that are actually happening on the field. And I think he has a great balance of letting the data influence him, but definitely more focused on how to create athletes and how to get them results. And that's his main focus. How about you, Bo? Yeah, man, there's a lot of information to decipher. Uh, my biggest takeaway, um, you know, shortly after the call was the segment on takes. I think you made a good point. Extending at bats, laying off pitches can extend innings and change the game. And uh, being able to take a bitch comes down to how we control our body. You know, the order we're sequencing, it may be mobility. Whatever it is, we can learn a lot from our hitters and where they need to make changes simply by the way they take pitches. So, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, and uh, guys, as always, this is a great episode, especially to. Uh, well, Carlton, he's done a lot for uh, the community of not only baseball, but softball as well, with a lot of. Uh, social media posts and the things that he puts out there and the information that he uses to get back to the game. So a uh, definitely great episode to share, uh, give him a shout. Um, you know, let's, let's post our, our uh, favorite, favorite line from the, from, you know, just this whole conversation. And also, you know, if you guys could rate us and, and, and uh, leave a comment on uh, iTunes, that really helps us as well, helps other people find us. Uh, that really is a great thing for us as, uh, as well. And from us and our partners over at Rapsodo until next time. The farm system out.